top, talking to the big wigs in marketing and advertising. We want to flip the story and start at the bottom. In this podcast, we're talking to the brilliant creative minds who are shaping the future of our industry. We're talking to the junior mafia in Adland. Welcome to the Junior Mafia podcast. I'm Jade Hickey, junior strategist at VML YNR. And I'm Dom Hickey, head of planning at DDB. Today we're speaking to Tilly Trelaw. Tilly grew up on a farm seven hours inland from Adelaide, didn't watch a movie until she was 12 and knows how to shoot a shotgun. On top of that, she's a talented strategist at VCCP, making her mark in Adland one brief at a time. Welcome, Tilly. So glad to have you today. So lovely to be here, Dom and Jade. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're really excited to talk to you. You have got a great um, upbringing. I am going to kick off with a question about the movie thing. <laughs> no movie thing. How do you keep up with popular culture being a strategist and how does uh, how do you deal with pop culture movie references when you didn't uh, watch How old were you when you started watching movies? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think not watching a movie until 12 is definitely dramatised by Vince, who I think gave that introduction to you. But I think, yeah, more broadly watching um, film or, or TV in general was not a massive part of my childhood. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first being my parents love them dearly, but they have this sense of guilt as whenever they sit down and watch something that's not the news or a documentary, and I think they, they sort of passed that on to us and, and they would never say we can't watch movies. It just wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, part of our childhood. And I think when, you know, you rely on it raining at a particular time of the year for your income, they were very conservative with their spending. So buying a DVD, which is how we watch films at that, at that time, or Ostar, which I think is the rural and remote version of Foxtel wasn't something that they saw as a a frugal purchase. So books were an investment to them and and DVDs were not. Yeah, I guess it wasn't until I started getting into advertising, I realised how valuable films were and and sitcoms as well. I think there's so much you can learn from them and, you know, from life lessons to interesting insights and different ways of thinking. Um, But I guess back to your question around you know, the element of culture. And I think the beauty of culture is that it's what's happening at that time. So I think I had to, you know, when I came into the industry, I had to rely on, you know, my love of research and, and my understanding of, of data to sort of ground my insights rather than say, I don't know, an insightful observational insight from Jerry Seinfeld. But I think all those parts working together, working together is something I have I had to learn quite quickly. But it's funny the, the number of times I get, oh, I can't believe you haven't seen that film. Well, I also think with pop culture references, people just get on board without necessarily knowing where they come from. So the origins of some of the expressions that we use over and over, people are surprised to find they've come from a movie or they've come mm-hmm. from a, a poem or an author or a uh, a play I think sometimes people just roll with it and it becomes embedded in culture now's a good time to let you know that Dom's a massive movie buff oh goodness I'm very embarrassed don't, don't quiz me on any movies my list of movies to watch hit about 200 last year so I've had to stop because I'm I'm well behind I am a massive movie buff we did have someone on here who was a massive movie buff as well and we definitely uh shamed Jade for her lack of movie watching so maybe you know, Jade can do some movie nights to catch up. Are there, are there any movies you, you recommend me watching that I should put to the top of that list of 200? Oh, my God, there's hundreds. Uh, there's hundreds. I need to email you to a list. But start with some classics. I said, I gave just Jade a list of like 20 movies you need to see. Um, there's a lot. 
I don't know where to start. Going back to growing up in the country and stuff, we've talked about with you before uh, diversity in advertising and how we can hire from different backgrounds. How do you find the advertising bubble compared to where you grew up? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's probably two parts that I want to answer to that question. The first being, you know, this bubble that we're in. And I think, yes, the bubble is so different to to how my family live and, and people in, in the community that I'm from. Um, but I think that would be most industries. And I think, you know, I guess standing on a ladder to get phone reception is, is a good example of, of how different that is. And I think whilst those in the ad industry know we're in a bubble, I think I think sometimes we forget. And I think an example or a humorous or somewhat frightening example I have of that is when we will set the scene, we were in this beautiful meeting room overlooking the Sydney Harbour and we had this brainstorm to try and figure out what recipe to shoot for, you know, the everyday working parent, busy working parent for a um, easy weeknight dinner. And and someone was convinced, they were so convinced that we needed to garnish this dish with Yarra Valley caviar. And I think it's in those moments where you go, guys, let's remind of, remind ourselves of the bubble we're in. And just because you can pick up Yarra Valley caviar from Coles doesn't, isn't a good enough reason as to sell it as a Tuesday night dinner solution. And I think... I wonder if it's if it's too many of those moments that we're letting slip by as to why so much advertising goes unnoticed. I think there's that scary stat that always oh, 80% of it goes unnoticed and it's it's quite frightening and I, I always try and put my finger on it and, and then you sit in those moments and you're like, oh, is it too many of these moments that, that make it go untouched? Un, um, unnoticed and and are we out of touch and I think you probably both agree that it's so important for planners in particular to get out of out of the office and and into the communities and and get to know the product that you're selling to really disconnect yourself from the bubble. Mm -hmm. So did you find when you moved that you were shocked by what was inside the bubble as well or was it kind of a bit more of a smooth transition? Um, I I I was to be honest really shocked. I think the it, I, I don't know how to say this in a diplomatic way but it was kind of this prestigious bubble that I you know when you're off going to client lunches and you're off to sort of production parties that's something that's you know that's in movies to where I grew up you don't you don't see any of that and I think you know the equivalent of that might be beers in the shed of, at the end of harvest. It's it's those those are the different things. And I think you know quite often I remind myself that you know chili. I don't even think they sell chili in the local IGA. Um, so yeah, it, it is quite different. And I did I did get a massive shock. Absolutely, <laughs> beers in the shed. I just love that. Sorry, I'm still processing that mood. Picturing <laughs> you sitting on a haystack having a beer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a shock. And I think going from that to, yeah, advertising was definitely different. And I definitely did have have to adjust to it. Even to what I, it sounds bizarre, but it's to what I wore. I remember rocking up on my first day thinking that this advertising was this corporate world. I went and bought all these corporate clothes thinking that it was sort of that style and then actually adjusting and, and, and working out quite quickly mm-hmm. that it's not that corporate but just prestigious in a different way. Yeah, um, if it makes you feel any better, I did the same and those corporate clothes are just sitting in my cupboard. The one week that I wore them as an account executive, like, oh, no, everyone wears jeans. What have I done? 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I think you know, to answer your second part of that question and talking a lot about diversity and how we can hire from different backgrounds, I think, well, diversity, it is a massive part of a lot of agency strategies. I, I honestly don't think we take it seriously enough and I honestly don't think we do a, a great job at it. And I think from a, a gender and a, and a background culturally point of view and then also from a skills point of view, we know we're so obsessed with, you know, new insights and new ways of thinking, but we seem to hire people from the advertising industry only. I think, you know, when you want and you hire a new client and you or you, sorry, you win a new client or you win a new piece of business and you need someone to hit the ground running, of course you're going to hire someone that can knows what they're doing and, and can sort of pop into that role quite seamlessly. But I think, you know, looking into, I don't know if it's through grad programs where we need to be hiring people that have done psychology degrees or I don't know what that looks like. But I think, you know, looking at transferable skills is something that uh, agencies should should take more seriously. Yeah, I think that's even reflective in, you know, aside from not hiring people from diverse backgrounds, we don't even really test the ideas against people from diverse backgrounds. So, We'll often do focus groups and we'll recruit far and wide, but it's still a focus group in Sydney CBD or in Parramatta. And I know in Melbourne it's the same thing, the sort of one in the middle of the city and one a little bit further out. But we're not really pushing the envelope in terms of who we're talking to or getting those getting those sort of deeper insights from places far and wide. And I think even that's important. And until we start doing that, yeah, we're not gonna have that, we're not gonna have the voice of a of a more diverse perspective as part of the part of what we create. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, we're so good at selling the industry in our own circles and our own communities, but I think, God, I don't even think anyone in Cummins would know what the advertising industry even exists. And there'd be some amazing brains that come out of that area school that would be absolutely brilliant in the industry. They're just, unless you study a creative sort of degree, um, you probably won't be aware of, mm. of the industry. Mm. And another aspect of diversity that you mentioned being a bit passionate about was the amount of women and particularly working mothers in the um, advertising industry. It's a little scary that that's already on the radar for you. Why do you think that Adland is getting it so wrong when it comes to future-proofing roles for women? Yeah, absolutely. I, oh, I mean, I haven't decided if I want children or not, but I think like anyone in their mid-20s that uh, – has has some ovaries. You have to think about this decision, um, you know, far earlier than probably um, those identifying as male do. And I think that's, you know, you do have the body clock that you can't pause. And in the sort of four or five years in my career, from what I've seen of working mothers, it's it, it is quite scary and it does scare me. It really does scare me to be a working mother in the advertising industry. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. I think or the first being, I don't know, uh, more broadly that f- 56% are women but only, you know, 27% of those are, are, are females on, on the exec board or in the exec teams. And I think, you know, if we had, oh, I could probably take an educated guess that of those 27%, a very small percentage are women. So I think, you know, having that... I guess the primary the primary caregiver is probably not going to be on that board or in those leadership teams and I think that's where you lo- that's where the disconnect is is when you don't fully understand what it's like to be a working mum and I think that's what scares me 
But I also don't think it's a, I don't think it's an advertising only industry thing, a, an advertising industry um, issue. I think it's more broadly on on a service level. I think a friend of mine actually, just as an, an example, the woman she took over for, um, th- that woman left. Um, her job and she didn't have another job lined up and I think a reason why she left that job was because her KPIs were putting her under immense amount of stress that it was that stress was affecting her ability to conceive so she essentially was quitting her job to have a baby and I just hear stories like that and I'm like that's unbelievable that she has to quit her job to be able to de-stress and then hopefully be able to conceive it's yeah it's quite quite fascinating I find it um, a really sad indictment on the industry that it's something that you're already thinking about as you're starting your career. What do you think, and I think it is, it, it's a problem that's broader than advertising, but it is also a problem that's quite systemic in advertising. What do you think that we could do better? What would you like to see change so that when you are looking down the barrel of hopefully a long career in advertising, you feel a little bit more supported and a bit more positive about where you could go? Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, seeing mothers, not not just women, but mothers in leadership positions and showing us that it's possible and that they do succeed. And I think the industry coming together and, and you know, we have such high workloads in, in, in the industry and I think agencies are running leaner than ever before and it's such a competitive environment everyone's going after the smaller amount of work that's that's in the industry and in the market and I think we're at the beck and call of clients that we we probably undersell ourselves and I think we probably don't charge enough for the amount of work that we do and we put in more hours than we charge and I think it's it's the industry's job to come together and and stand up to that you know like if you do an extra four days of work because you know, your first round creative didn't nail it, then charge for it. Otherwise we get sort of mothers leaving at 6pm and then you hear little comments like, oh, working a half day when we need to be charging for that work and, and getting that extra day and, and and pushing out that deadline so you can, you know, the mum can come back to work in her in a actual hours and, and do that work for, for money and to, to be paid. Well, there's also lots of research that women do the housework in the office, and I don't know if you've ever heard about that before, but women are more likely to do things like clean up after a meeting or organise birthday cakes or organise presents for people and just all those little things that add up. So I think, uh, you know, we need to put pressure on ourselves to not say yes to doing some of those things too, but it does feel like that that sort of female carer role carries into what we do in the office as well. creates even more stress I think for the work that we do yeah absolutely I didn't I didn't know that um that piece of research that's really interesting but now thinking about it absolutely the females are the one that the ones that are organizing the gifts and the birthday cakes and cleaning up the kitchen and sending out the agency admin emails absolutely but but what also um gets me is is the pitch process and and this sort of agency model around the pitching process you know a builder wouldn't build the house to then prove that they can build the house. We spend hours working on weekends, in evenings, fleshing out a campaign that's so down to detail for free and and it's it's bizarre. And I remember that's probably the biggest shock that I had starting in the industry was this pitch process. And I remember saying to my boss, I remember it so clearly, 
why are we doing this for free? And and he laughed and said, it's just the way we do things here. And I just, that stuck with me for a very long time. And it still, to this day, I still can't figure out why we do so much free work. And Dom, you might have an interesting uh, perspective on this. You mentioned that you think that DDB has one of the best mum-friendly working environments. What are those initiatives that have been really great from DDB? Yeah, I think one of the things I found really interesting, probably coming from an agency that felt a bit more like a boys club that didn't really have a lot of tolerance for uh, women with children. And I'm not a mum myself, but you obviously see it in how people are treated and the peers around you. There's a significant number of women at, at DDB that do like four days a week or do sort of reduced hours and, and really are supported to do that. And I think that's actually phenomenal because that sets a benchmark for how you could actually work and manage a family at the same time. I think every agency's got work to do in terms of females in their creative department, but I think we've been making it work across some of the other departments. And then recently we've upgraded our leave policies so that we give people additional time for things like bereavement leave if they've had a miscarriage, which I think is actually really important and it recognises, you know, the, the conversation we were having before about um, the journey to becoming a mother happens well before you actually get pregnant and I think understanding that struggle and giving people time um, to go through that process is some of the you know some of the more progressive things that we're seeing people do so it's great to be in an agency that's embraced some of those policies and changes. Yeah that's so amazing to hear I didn't know I don't know I've not ever worked at D2B so I'm not across that but that is so amazing to hear I think the fact that that mindset and sort of support for for our mums and our females in the industry is is so lovely to hear I think it comes from the top down so setting policy putting policies in place to sort of embed that mindset in the company culture is so lovely to hear Mm, I think that's right I think and and you know your your thing before is you've got to be able to see people in that position that are able to do both to be able to feel like you can get there yourself and if you don't have any female role models that are mums that are still working and making it work without killing themselves uh, it's very hard to see yourself in that situation in a few years time. Absolutely and I think you know from too often when companies are in vulnerable positions financially mothers seem to be a large percentage of those of the talent that goes first and I think yeah, if if we had mothers, more mothers in senior positions making those decisions, I, I don't think that talent would, the, the percentage of that talent would be as high. I really don't. And at the other end of the scale, uh, we also chatted about older people in the industry. Are you thinking that far into the future? How do you think the industry can make space for people at the start and end of their careers? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think in one of the, I think it was in the podcast you um, or one of your earlier interviews with Vince, he said um, he had this really good quote. It was around um, agencies are made up of 25, 25 year olds. And and it's so true. The the older generation is not as represented in, in the industry. And I think I read it, I read a stat once, I think it was uh, in the trade press that just 5% of the ad agency employees globally are over 50 and the median age is sitting around 38. And my question to them is, is A, where are they going? But B, why are they going? Why are they leaving the industry? What is the industry doing to push them out? Because every over 50 year old that I've worked with 
are some of they are the, the smartest people I've ever met and they're so generous with their time and they're so kind and thoughtful with how they give feedback. I just think we need more over 50s. They're, they're the experts in the industry and I, I just wonder where they go and why they go. I'm surprised the median age is 38. I would have actually thought it would have been uh, significantly lower than that. So that's that's kind of interesting. That's probably, I think in Australia, absolutely, it would be lower. I, I know that Thinkabell did an over 50s internship program recently, but I never heard about how it went. I'd love to hear what the results went and if they got yeah. heaps of people and any of their feedback on that. We should have asked. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where I got the quote from was that, was it 55 and Thrive? think that yeah but yeah I I like that there's a more of a there's a bit more of a spotlight being put on it I think I was reading um Melissa Doyle just released that um or her podcast series called um oh I think it's the age against the machine I think it was called and and one of the one of the the biggest takeout I had probably from it was that there was this idea that when she was interviewing women over 50, the, the most common word and phrase that she found was this sense of invisibility and that when women hit 50, particularly in their work and career, if they didn't have a senior title, they felt invisible, which is it's really sad and it's really frightening and it's not fair and I think we need a hero, you know, the, the people over 50 that we work with. They're the experts. They've been around for the longest. They know what they're doing. We, we need to hero them far more than we do now. And and do do a better job of keeping them in the industry. And I, I don't I don't know why they leave. I don't I think my first sort of four bosses that I've have have had have all left the industry and I've not actually asked them why or why they went, but yeah, there are probably a number of reasons. I think there's definitely a great client side migration that happens after a certain age. Um, and I think there's a whole lot of different reasons for that. I'd love to bring it back to the work and ask you about what's something that you've done in your career since you've been in advertising that you feel really proud of or that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really hard question. I, I really don't like when people ask me this. I think from a work point of view, there's been so many that I've just been so thankful that I've been involved in. But I think from a learning point of view, it's probably two years ago, and Jade, you you may have felt like this when you started out in your career. It's really hard as a planner, particularly as a junior planner, to come in and get your briefs signed off by client and get on sort of or in a team that pays for you. And I think as as companies and agencies becoming leaner and and you know clients moving away from a um, retainer based model more through to a, a project by project based model it's it's hard as a junior planner to sell yourself so I think because I didn't I was really frustrated with not owning any clients and I think looking back now I, I totally understand why but then I did not so I I, I started a, a marketing masters and I think I sort of took that as something that I could own and, and that was mine and what I what I would do is I would take everything that I learned from there sort of this formal sort of marketing training and implement say you know the behavior models that we learned or I wrote a few papers on into different strategies and I think that's probably what you know doing the formal marketing training at the same time as being a junior in the industry is is what I've been most proud of to be a be able to do it and b sort of integrate them together yeah I love that it definitely is so hard to put your foot in the door and be like me 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 because you're the first person that gets cut when you're non-essential for sure Absolutely. And I think as, 
you know, I don't know many planners or young planners in the industry and Jade, I don't know if you, but you do either, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to sell yourself to clients and clients don't, why would clients want to pay for a junior planner when they could have a planning director? So it's, it's, it's being able to prove your worth at the beginning to then sort of and and have someone take a chance on you. I think that's the big that's the a really important thing as a junior planner is having someone that will take a chance on you and and train you, which I've been very lucky to um have had done. Yeah, I love that. I completely agree. Um, and finally, Tilly, what's the best piece of advice you've been given since you entered the industry? Oh, there's been so many, but I think what I always come back to is. A, know your worth, but B, be kind, but don't be a pushover. I think there's so many leaders and and even clients that are in leadership roles that just are, are, are nasty and tough for the, just for the sake of it. And I think I really value leadership or people that are leaders that are, have show a sense of vulnerability and show empathy for the people that they lead. And I think, yeah, be kind, but don't be a pushover is something that I I, I often apply it's a hard line isn't it harder than it sounds <laughs> I love that though I don't think you'll ever fall behind by being kind I don't think you'll ever fall behind by being kind I think that's a great great bit of advice well thanks so much for coming in today Tilly I've absolutely loved this chat thank you for sharing your amazing amazing background we loved chatting to you oh thanks for having me. bye oh thanks guys we'll chat to you soon